speaks about you have a right to your actions, but never the fruits of your actions. And that message is repeated again and again and again and again. It, it, what, what it, for me, what that means is what I see my actions are is almost like planting loads of seeds in loads of different places. Now, um, when, a, when a farmer plants loads of seeds, he doesn't think I'm going to keep all those fruits myself. He's not grasping and clinging onto that one bud of that tree saying, this, this is mine. I need this. He's, he's planting those seeds and watching them grow and, and sharing that and nurturing that. Welcome to the With Sayada podcast, brought to you by the Centre for Belonging and Understanding. The podcast that brings to you stories of lived experience that you might not otherwise encounter. This is a podcast that encourages you to cultivate belonging and understand others. I'm your host, author and coach Sayada Zaidi, and every episode I'll be asking a new guest to share their story. Dr. Nilesh Satguru's mission is to challenge compassionate changemakers to believe in growth. After witnessing his late father's illness, his son's developmental challenges and resigning from a medical partnership, Nilesh dedicated himself to self-mastery to serve others. He is uniquely qualified as a certified high-performance coach and lifestyle medicine doctor. Nilesh has been featured on the front cover of Brains magazine and was recognised by Disrupt magazine as one of 10 leading performance coaches to follow. He became intrigued by coaching after being coached through the NHS Leadership Academy and first studied health coaching in 2020. He then trained with Evercoach and more recently with the Certified High Performance Institute. In 2019, he qualified in occupational medicine, and in 2020, Nilesh certified in lifestyle medicine. He is a director for the British Society of Lifestyle Medicine and sits on the UK Sleeping Steering Committee. So today I'm really, really pleased to be joined by Nilesh Satguru. Actually, I feel as if I am compelled to say Dr. Nilesh Satguru, who not only is he a medical doctor, but he is also a certified high performance coach and works in the arena of lifestyle medicine and personal growth. Now, the interesting piece about our connection is that we've only really known each other for a couple of months. And I put a post in a WhatsApp group that some of the certified high performance coaches in the UK are in. And that's a program that Brendan Bouchard teaches in terms of how you can um, support other people to uh, develop in high performance. And if anyone's interested in any of these things, all of the stuff will be in the show notes. Now, coming back to Nilesh, I put this post in and he replied with this message and I am going to play it out. So forgive me. It's just it was a real gift and it's a demonstration of everything that I love about Nilesh. And I should also say, if you WhatsApp me nine times out of 10, if I don't know you, I am not going to listen to the WhatsApp message, but I listen to this one. 
Hey, Sadia, it's Nilesh here. I'm part of the Certified High Performance Coaches Group, and I just saw your message that you left. I hope you don't mind me reaching out. Two reasons. Number one, <laughs> I've got big thumbs, so my texts are rubbish full of mistakes. <laughs> and number two, um, I just think it's more personal. Um, I had a look at your page, and wow, I love your interest in learning architecture, the degrees, the background, the coaching qualifications, but all with a sense of humility, which just, just it's really beautiful. I'm very happy to have um, come across your work. Anyway, um, I just wanted to show you some appreciation. That's all. And um, and, and ask you one question, I suppose. I'm a coach too, so you know I like to ask a question. Apologies for a long message. The question is, what's next for you? You already achieved such greatness working with some incredible people. What's next on your horizon? What's next in your dreams over the next three to six months? Because I just, I, I, as you'll know, and I'm sure you're the same, I'm deeply fascinated by people's journeys of success and their journeys towards their highest potential. And so I'm, um, I'm pretty interested in, in yours. Anyway, speak soon. Now, the thing for me that was really powerful is that it just was such a sincere message and kind of demonstrated a, a sense of appreciation that I would say is right back at you, Nilesh. But also, you asked me a good question. And I think when people ask good questions, you pay attention. So what I would like to know is, what is next for you, Nilesh? <laughs> wow, that was... I was incredible to to hear that introduction. I've never been introduced like that, and I, I feel so grateful for for the connection, Sadia. Um, what's next for me? Well, I'm in a big learning phase of my life, and I hope to continue to be in that phase for quite a long time. I'm making the transition from full time GP partner, um, which I resigned from a few years ago, to now making the transition to being a business owner, a coach, speaker, online trainer. So what's next for me is two main things. Number one, it's learning from mentors, coaches, thought leaders who have contributed in the way that I like to contribute in the future. And um, the second thing is to build relationships with those people as well. Um, that's the big realization I had. In fact, right at the start of the pandemic, I realized that my relationships was the one area that I really wanted to work on and, and it's paid dividends. So learning from thought leaders and building relationships. And, and I, I would like to say, I think what I'm observing from you is that you're not just learning from them, but you're also implementing and I think for, for the work that I do and the aspiration that I have is that I see a lot of people learn and spend an inordinate amount of time learning, but not following through or not implementing. So for me to hear you say that, and then even just to kind of like reflect back on, on how you sent that message to me, because we could do a whole podcast just on the content from that. <laughs> it's just, it's a real sincere demonstration that you learn and apply and 
one of the things that's coming up for me is is I want to know if you if you're happy to share is who are you learning from who are your mentors who whose books are you reading mm. wow and where to start I I feel very lucky and blessed to be in have feelings of inspiration on a daily basis and sorry I should say be inspired I feel inspired and um, you know from certified high performance coach we have our three words and my best self one of those three words is is to be inspired so I'll go right back probably that one of my biggest inspirations is, is Aristotle uh, sometimes you read people's work and within a few sort of seconds of reading it, it it really tugs on something in your heart and you feel like oh I, I just need to read more of this and and your intuitions all lit up so Aristotle definitely is someone who's inspired me and then the work of the positive psychology movement so Martin Seligman Barbara Friedrichsen um recently Kristen Neff has been mm. incredible but I found those and I'll make quite a, a, an interesting link. So I, at university, I, I learned to DJ. I started working at a bar and they needed a DJ. I was always interested in music. I loved music. And so I realized, you know, that I could, I could have more fun DJing. So I learned to DJ. And what I learned from listening to DJs, which I find fascinating, is that they were able to curate different artists' music, but blend them together and make them sound mm -hmm. so beautiful. And they always left clues. You know, you'd listen, watch out for the track lists. And so this is the same thing that I was doing in, with these online courses. I was taking courses at Mind Valley from Brendan. And there were just these tiny little clues. Brendan would talk about um, Ogmandino or uh, Vision would talk about Martin Seligman. And then I'd read that book and I think, oh, wow, that's, that's how they've been inspired. And so I, I'd like to keep going towards the, the root. I, I love how you describe that thing about the leaving of the clues because it kind of um it reminds me that that life is a puzzle and we just need to find the clues and see where that takes us. Um the the kind of metaphor that you've put out there for me is just is taking me in so many different places. Um what what's the best clue that you've ever seen? Oh, wow. What's the best clue I've ever seen? I think work, I think Mind Valley was the best introduction that I had. And I remember this so well. Uh, I, I'd recently got into lifestyle medicine, which I'm sure many people know this, but it's, it's an evidence-based specialty that looks to prevent, treat and reverse chronic conditions, primarily through lifestyle change. And that reverse bit was always what got me excited as a doctor. I thought, wow, it can reverse heart disease, it can reverse anxiety and depression. Incredible. And my, my brother, who was in more of the entrepreneurial space, sent me a video from Mind Valley. And there was Vision talking about <laughs> morning routines. And my brother said, This, this is lifestyle medicine. And immediately I poo-pooed it. I said, This is mm -hmm. as, as a lot of the medical uh, medical community do. And it's it's the way that we've been trained is to be skeptical which is a positive thing actually it's important to be skeptical with scientific data not cynical but skeptical um so the best clue was my brother sending that to me and i felt this real kind of aversion to it but then i watched it and i thought no this i need to 
something's telling me I need to move forward on this. And the first course I online course I bought was Jim Quick's Superbrain. Oh yeah, I've done that one. <laughs> Fantastic. And you know, my I went home that Christmas and and my parents were just sort of my face like light up at explaining how I w- was able to memorize certain things. And and, and my mum and dad loved it too. They always love learning. But I remember just before I bought that course, I was so scared. I was in this fearful place. Oh my gosh, what, what if it doesn't deliver? Um, is this real? This sounds so good, but could it be true? Um, but but I, I took that step. And and then after that, it was a whole series of of courses through Mindvalley, through, through Brendan, through Founder most recently as well. So I think the best clue was, was from my brother. Oh, I love that. And and uh, it's interesting because what you've described as your journey takes me back to maybe about, gosh, I don't know, 14 something years ago. And like uh, an email came and I looked at this and I actually then spent three or four weeks discussing with my husband, should I spend the $300 to sign up for this course? And I say that out loud now and I'm just thinking... <laughs> At the time, I was working as a director in local government. So $300 was just, you know, I mean, it was like pocket change. But it was the conversation in my head and thinking all those things that you shared. Is it going to be worth it? What's the time cost for me? Um, shall I? And it was signing up for that that led to all of this other things. So sometimes we make decisions and we put ourselves in places of the of the unknown and the benefits that come from that are just enormous so i'm really pleased that you did that and uh, and i should also add that i i have a huge amount of respect for vishen lakiani and his entire team at mind valley and, and what they've done and how they've structured their programs and actually made them really quite accessible to people um uh, a few years ago, I did. I had I had the fortune, I would say, of of meeting Vishen and um, Ajit Nawalka and a few of the others uh, um, when they did a train the trainers course in. Uh, gosh, I think it was in Los Angeles, and I went with me, my husband, and the kids. And I, when I was signing up for that, I said to them, "I really want to do this, but I would like to bring my kids. Can they also be in the classroom?" And they said yes. And for me, that's testimony to their desire to support the next generation. And I and I do want to share that with, with you and with the audience, because I think it's one thing us as adults kind of learning all of this stuff. But I think we also have a collective responsibility to make sure that the next generation and of future leaders, of people who are going to be dealing with the problems that, that we're unable to, like climate change, they're going to be the ones if they get this foundation in. It's just such a gift that you that we kind of give to the future, if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. You know, there's that famous quote from um, Khalil Gibran and from the Prophet, which is "Your children are not your children." And Vision mm-hmm. speaks about that, doesn't he, quite frequently? And yeah, I completely agree with that. And I'm I'm a I'm a real huge Mind Valley fan, and I'm sure one day. Uh, I'll I'll cross paths with with Ajit. I, I also did Evercoach uh, an Evercoach course, and and Ajit was fantastic there too. So that was very integral for me to have the confidence to actually set up as a as a coach. Um. So yeah, deeply grateful yeah. For, for for all of those people putting that information and in, just freely available for people. It's mm. 
And I will say one more thing, and, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. I think for me, the real appeal about Mind Valley is it's wonderful to see people that are people of color in this space operating at the level that they are and be in the same conversation with some of the leaders in personal development. Because I know for me, when I when I came into this kind of arena, one of my biggest challenges is that you know, a lot of my teachers ended up being white American and male. And, and that is not as well, let's say it's a huge part of the conversation now, which I think is wonderful. And, and don't get me wrong, I have enormous respect and um, gratitude for all of my teachers. But there's just something about how I think um, this space needs to become more representative of the, the kind of humanity as a whole. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think Mind Valley does an incredible job in promoting diversity. Actually, that reminds me of a story. My my mother is my mother and father are Sri Lankan, but my mother speaks Sinhalese and my father speaks Tamil. And many of you will know the the challenges Sri Lanka faced over the years. My father's house was um, the windows were broken in um, in, in Colombo because he was he was Tamil. My my mother's of course had difficulties as well but they always brought me up with this concept of unity mm. and I think that's why Mind Valley resonated so much with me is because it reminded me of what my mum and dad used to say to me which is that you know you're not Sinhalese you're not Tamil you're you're Sri Lankan in fact they what they say to me is that you're British now because you're born in the UK um and they they really made it a point so much so my father got the opportunity to move to the Netherlands and it was quite unheard of. First of all, they moved from Sri Lanka to the UK as immigrants. And then there are even fewer Sri Lankans who moved from the UK to the Netherlands. But they did that. And the school I went to had 65 nationalities. Wow. And we had these international days. It was just one, just absolutely beautiful to see everyone bring in a, a national dish and a national dress. And that was when I was about nine or 10 years old. So this, this beautifully relates around to... to um, bringing the youth up with with a culture of diversity and and I was very lucky that my my mother and father did that I love that and I I, it's kind of like just as a side note I think we've got multiple conversations to have because I did (laughs) not know that about you and of course it's no surprise we've only really known each other for about six weeks right but but um on that you you have just shared something of huge kind of um significance to me because about six or seven years ago, I had this crazy idea to leave London and to take the kids and go traveling. And we did that for about maybe three or four years. And the biggest gift from that, because the kids, I I can't believe, I can never remember the ages, but I'm, I'm convinced that they were seven and nine. And just that kind of ability to travel and see different people I think help them to have a strength in their own sense of identity and for me that's so important because what are we facing right now in the world is that young people are and even old people like me you know we're searching for who we are and what fuels that it's social media, it's the images that we see of other people. And it's really easy to kind of focus on something that 
you will never be able to become because unless you want plastic surgery and you want to have filters and all of these other things, but to be able to cultivate, even if it's an atom of a sense of identity, I think kind of gives real grounding. And um, the other piece that, that I would like to share here quickly is just knowing that there is what, what real sense of poverty means. You know, I think in the UK, there's a huge amount of contradictions and there's that, you know, people abroad still think that the streets are paved with gold, even when they're not. And when we look at the work, for example, of Marcus Rashford and, and what he's done to help with um, young children not being able to have meals at home, you know, for me, the guy's a proper role model. But that stuff shouldn't happen in the UK. It does. And it's also happening all over the world. And so to bring that in and, and kind of at least be able to share that as a reality for kids, I think, helps them to appreciate the things that they have at another level. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. And I'm so lucky that we have such amazing role models like Marcus Rashford. Um, I think it's such an amazing point you brought up about how the, the poverty doesn't just, it's not only outside of our, our home country in that when you pay enough attention, you can see it so, so closely. Uh, that, that's another big shift that's, that's happened in, in the last few years for me is, is being just a bit more aware of, of people who are struggling and people who are suffering. And I, you know, I can completely openly admit that I was completely unaware and oblivious to, to homeless people on, on, the streets for a long time in my life. It hurts me to say that a little bit, but um, after learning about psychology and going into the depths of spirituality, I think that's been another big shift is just to, just to give people recognition. Mm. You can just do that. You didn't even need to, you know, just nod at someone or, or smile at them or show them that they're human and they're at it. we're all on a journey at some stage or another. I mm. think that's been, um, that's been a big shift. Mm. I, I I really um, love how you shared that because for me the 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 thing that I heard is that the acknowledgement of um, a shift in changing, you know, in in we we all have done things where we think back and think, gosh, I wish I'd had that level of awareness. And for me, it's it really is that piece about being on a journey, knowing that nobody is perfect, but we can learn something, we can adapt, and and we can move on. And you also spoke about um, kind of awareness and attention. And what I would love to do is to ask you what kind of particularly at this moment in time where there is a sense of kind of what do I do next? I, I see you as somebody who's got a huge amount of, of skills and gifts and qualities. What is it that you're paying your attention to? Yeah, very good question. service con or contribution that's number one i've recently had a second baby millie she's 12 weeks old we've got a freddie who's a four-year-old i've got my wife sarah and so the service starts right at home you know the first thing in the morning with my son the way i greet him the way the mood that i'm in and, and role model to him that's that's the number one thing is if i can just do that then everything else sort of falls into place and service is is very closely linked with 
um, connection and compassion, which is which is a really big part of who I am. Um, so I'd say my focus on a day-to-day basis is on service, connection, compassion. I love that. And, um, and I think you're absolutely right in that, you know, we have to be of service to the people that are close to us, uh, uh, particularly the ones that we live with. And it's very easy, actually, just to kind of get caught up in the, the day-to-day of life and, and not allow an extra pause or an extra moment just to lean into that. And your description of how you greet your son is just, it, it's something that, that I aspire to. And I'm always reminding myself, just take an extra minute, take an extra second. Um, it seems as if you're doing a lot of work. So one of the things that I, and I think all of us will benefit from, is an understanding of how do you structure your day? Yeah, so this has changed quite significantly since um, since when I was working as a GP partner, where I, I use the analogy of being like a pinball and just having the email alerts on my desk or popping up and everything. I think I... I'll tell a very short story about this. So I'm very interested in lifestyle medicine. And when I was, I was particularly getting interested in sleep quite heavily. And I, I did a deep dive into sleep a while ago and, and, and read a few books and I became quite fascinated about chronotypes. Anyway, what I realized is that there's a, a gene called the PR3 gene and the length of this gene determines whether you're a morning person or an, or an evening person. There's actually four different chronotypes. And that book was actually very influential as to how I structured my day because I realized that um, it wasn't a case of I was doing the wrong things, but it was when I was doing them, maybe. So the mornings, I tend to have nothing now booked until 10 or 10.30. And I use that morning time up until about 8am at the moment, because my my wife's doing a phenomenal job with looking after Millie. I'm with my son till about 8am until he goes off to nursery. And then after that, I'm either working out or um, doing some reading or connecting like I say connection is number like one of the first things on my agenda mm. um, so I connect with my one-on-one clients I connect with my my family and I may well do some some learning and then at about mid-morning then starts coaching calls which I, I feel very privileged and grateful to do do that because it's it's a dream to to coach people to have deep and meaningful conversations and move them into action shift beliefs. Some days I'll do that to about three. Some days a, a little bit earlier, and then in the again I love I love to cook, so I, I actually leave time in the evening to to cook and and spend time with my family. So I, I'm feeling very lucky because this this day looks vastly different from what it did three three years ago. You know, I think three years ago it was. 6am at the gym and then 8pm home. So I know there'll be a lot of people resonating with that. Um, but now I'm, I'm, I'm trying to spend more time in reflection and, and thinking and, and creating and learning. Uh, it's that balance between creation and consumption. So morning, morning of connection and learning. And then as the day goes on, I'm doing more um, meetings and, and coaching calls. I love that. And, and what was the name of the book that you mentioned? Yeah, so it's actually from Dr. Michael Bruce, who's who's another teacher on Mind Valley, and it's called The Power of When. Mm. I think that's the correct name, The Power of When. Yeah, um, very, very interesting book, and and I like the. I think one thing I will say with these books is, you, you must take what you feel is right from them. I think some people can read them and 
and feel like oh the the data is not too strong in that and I just just show a really important piece about evidence-based medicine which many people are unaware of this but evidence-based medicine are three there's three prongs to it Mm. so there's clinical research which is one prong which is important but then the other two prongs is the clinician's experience and last of all the patient's beliefs And so when you read something or you're looking at any paper or any bit of scientific evidence, know that there's how you feel about it. It's very important what you believe. And also what's the, what's the experience of, of someone who's teaching it to you or, or explaining it. Mm. I, I have a bit of a side note on that. Cause I think what you've shared is, is really quite significant. And um, I will make sure that those three points are set out very, very clearly in the show notes. Um, it must be over a year ago that I started to become perimenopausal. And when I'd phoned the doctor, the first time, actually, it was the beginning of the um, pandemic. And they said, everyone's tired. We're just going through a pandemic, you know. And quite rightly, there was a lot of other stuff that was going on that was more of a priority. So, you know, and you're, and you're thinking, well, is it the pandemic? Is something else going on? Anyway, six months later, still tired. And they said the same thing. So in December, I know actually it was November last year. I remember one day when I went to bed at 7 p.m., woke up at 7 a.m., completely exhausted. And I thought, this isn't right. Called the doctor and they said, well, you probably have got chronic fatigue. Phone us back in a couple of months and um, we'll see if we can do a chronic fatigue referral. So I ended up with a chronic fatigue referral to the Royal Free. And at the same time, I just knew there was something not quite right. And during the course of the months, I cannot tell you the number of times I looked up what are the symptoms of menopause. And it just got to this point where I, I, you know, and, and in this time, maybe three or four sets of full bloods were done. right? And sometimes my estrogen was high, sometimes it was low, but they said nothing conclusive. Anyway, long story short, I then went away and did some research on what the NICE guidelines say about menopause and learned that actually um, I tick all of the boxes and the the work here of Dr. Louise Nelson is um, really, really quite significant within this arena and will include all of that in the show notes as well. And so I went to the doctor with some evidence and said, look, these are the reasons why I think I am uh, perimenopausal. And I think, let me just try HRT. I hate medicine. I mean, you know, I will take a Nurofen for a headache because um, it's stopping me from doing the things that, but I'm really not somebody that will go to medicine as the first kind of port of call. So I start HRT and within 10 days, I felt like a human being again. And this is the power of what you were saying in terms of having that information and just looking at the evidence and Mm. and presenting it. 100%. I mean, I I always think about the most learning I've ever had. I feel very lucky because it's a large, the sheer volume of people you see as a doctor. You know, there were 2,400 people on my list as a GP and if I if I actually genuinely think about the amount of people, so blood results, letters, everything that I would see in the career so far as 10 years I've been practicing as a doctor, five years of training, it would be in hundreds of thousands of, of cases and every one blood result, there's a story behind that. Like you said, that there's someone who's not functioning. There's somebody who, and you know, I, 
I completely hear that. And that's why the most learning I've done is from patients. And that was a big shift that I had. It wasn't always that way. I must say that I wasn't always that way at all. In fact, when I started off, I was very doctor centric. I was very much in my ego, my agenda. And there were a few situations. Uh, one really kind of called into question of who I was becoming. In fact, this is one of the main reasons why I value compassion so much. There was this lady who came and saw me, very similar case actually, Saida. She was in her um, around 50s. She was going through some perimenopausal symptoms, had some terrible headaches and was a very high functioning entrepreneur. Mm. And she was really struggling, but she had at the time these uh, new onset floaters in her vision, which someone has a headache and new onset floaters it's something that requires same day assessment so i thought being the you know the guideline doctor that i was i'll send her to the eye unit but the truth was i did not take anywhere near enough time to show an awareness of her suffering to show agreement and meaning of her circumstances and to take action to relieve her suffering these i use these words intentionally this is what compassion is mm-hmm. and i received a complaint and the complaint attacked my character. And I just didn't speak for around two weeks. And if you know me, that's a very long time. <laughs> I had to go into work and speak to patients as if nothing had happened. And um, But then I made a kind of promise to myself from that, that I would put compassion at the forefront of my consultations before even you know getting the diagnosis perfect or correct. It was very important that people felt listened to and heard and yeah, I'm not going to claim no one gets it perfect every time. I, I think that that is the most valuable skill for the modern clinician these days is, is compassion because we are living in a world where we have access to information just like you beautifully described. But the compassion is not something we can look at. You have to do that. It's a human skill. You have to do that with someone. And, and I think, you know, just going back to the beginning and just playing that message, you demonstrate compassion in spades. I mean, really, um, what I love, actually, is how you have articulated that as human beings, we can become aware of something that we need to learn. And there's a point you can either make a decision to say, OK, I'm going to go on that journey and acknowledge that there's something not quite right and I need to to discover how to do that or I'm going to ignore it and just keep on doing the same of the behaviors and I'm really really pleased and I want to honor you for the work that you've then done to learn this skill set because it's not easy and I can tell you for me for example um what I've had to learn because for example when I write emails I now have a kind of like three layer way of doing it I write in the stuff that I want to say then I go back and I put in the niceties. And even last week, I, I sent one email where I put another layer of niceties in it. And it was just incredible, the response that I got to that. And the lesson I learned was do it twice. If it's not your normal behavior, make twice the effort than you would, because otherwise, even if you make do it once, you still get a good response. But that extra piece of going that additional mile or putting in extra effort, it doesn't really cost you anything. But see, the person that's receiving it, it could change their life. There's just so many incredible points. I absolutely love what you're saying, uh, Sadia. And I, I too have shared the same thing. 
I came to a realization, which is at one stage in my life, I had quite a lot of rumination. You know, my son was suffering with developmental challenges. I was leaving a GP partnership. There was quite a lot of, on the outside, quite a lot of suffering. And on the inside, there was as well. Mind you, I knew I wasn't alone and I was very fortunate in a lot of ways. But I, I came to a realization that the more I could think about others, the less time I was spending ruminating about myself. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel very blessed to be um, friends with this author called Dr. David Hamilton, who's written books on the science of kindness. Um, I, I would strongly recommend people check out his book, Five Side Effects of Kindness. It's a very short to the point book, but with great science. And he makes a really good case for kindness being the opposite of stress. So neurobiologically, kindness is the opposite of stress. It releases the connection hormone, oxytocin, serotonin. And in stress, of course, we get releases of things like cortisol, noradrenaline, adrenaline. So it's it's really fascinating when you take this approach and you come out of, this is why I was talking about, you know, I was in my ego with this patient that we shared the story about. When you come out of that and you spend even 5% of your day more thinking about others and how you can be kind and serve others, you notice your stress starts to fade away. Mm. Uh, it's magical. I, I I don't want to claim that you know it's going to completely solve everybody's or everybody's issues, but I know that every single one of us could be could raise our game with kindness and compassion. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm hoping that you're going to do a little introduction for me because everything that you've described, I would love to speak to David Hamilton and just unpack some of this thing. Um, and and you know this piece on kindness you're right 100% because i'm thinking i at the moment i am busier than i have ever been but i'm not stressed and i was what and what you've done is within a moment i think you've helped me to understand why i'm not stressed because i'm doing two things differently now compared to my previous 40 plus years one is I'm being kind to myself. And I tell you, self-compassion, and you mentioned Kirsten Neff, um, that piece of self-compassion for me is the hardest journey that I'm on. It's easy to be compassionate to others, but to do it for yourself, you know, I have to always remind myself. But the other piece as well is just, is this thing that you shared about being kind to others. And like, it would not have been my normal habit um, to do this previously but now when I wake up one of the first things that I do is I get to my desk actually is I think am I interviewing anyone for my podcast if I am I just send them a short message and that makes me feel connected to them it makes me look forward to the meeting with them but I also know that when someone does that to me it just makes me feel so special and I hope that that's how that is received does that make sense it makes perfect sense. It makes, I mean, I, I find this whole area of where our psychology meets our biology just deeply fascinating. And, you know, if we think about our brain and our neurology, it's, it's really a wondrous thing because as mammals, we have this caregiving system in our brain. So mammals nurture their young, they feed their young, they look after them. Their physical touch is very important. We're, we're literally hardwired to do this caring and nurturing. Now, this is a, a slight difference between empathy and compassion, and, and people can sometimes get their, their wires crossed with this. Empathy, in short, empathy says, I feel you. Mm. And it activates an area of our brain called the insular cortex, 
And that area of our brain is associated with suffering. So you literally feel the other person's suffering. Now, that can be helpful up to a point. But compassion says, I intend to heal you. So some fascinating discoveries, various studies, some from the Max Planck Institute in Germany, um, some from Richie Davison's lab in Wisconsin and Madison in the States. They confirm that compassion is an action-based practice. So the motor cortex will light up, but also the reward center, the ventral striatum and the medial orbitofrontal cortex, these areas will light up in compassion. So when people come to me and say, oh, you know, I am being kind, but I just feel drained. Unless, you know, that people are still negative. And I say this, I'd say compassion is not about their reaction. It's about your actions. That's like a mic drop moment, (laughs) you know, and it's just so true, isn't it? Because because here's the other thing, right? We focus so much time on the reactivity of other people and we'd stop thinking about what we're doing within the moment and how we are responsible for how we respond to what is kind of like surfacing in the emotions that we're feeling and how we then kind of um, do the work with that. Because some of this, I, I, I think, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, Sometimes our reactivity requires therapy, and it, I mean deep, deep therapy. Sometimes it just requires letting go, mm. and then occasionally there's a lesson in there, and we've just got to think, well, how do I unpack that so I can learn so that I can move on? But in all of these, there is that thing about action that you describe. Yeah, it's and letting go is such a big one, isn't it? So it is one of the hardest things to do, and I'd say that's so that thing that's constantly on my focus is how can I how can I let go I recently uh, read the Gita uh, the Bhagavad Gita it's shortly after Millie was born which was a beautiful time to read this book I'm sure many of your listeners would have read it I read Stephen Mitchell's translation and it's just just so beautifully poetic I think I'll make a commitment to read that at least once a year because it, it was so beautiful and in there he speaks about you have a right to your actions but never the fruits of your actions And that message is repeated again and again and again and again. What what it for me, what that means is what I see my actions are is almost like planting loads of seeds in loads of different places. Now, um, when a when a farmer plants loads of seeds, he doesn't think I'm going to keep all those fruits myself. He's not grasping and clinging onto that one part of that tree, saying this this is mine. I need this. He's he's planting those seeds and watching them grow and and sharing that and nurturing that. And that approach, it, it funnily enough, the, the more you let go, all of a sudden, the, the more that kind of floods towards you as well and attracts towards you. So it's a, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing. And um, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure you have many stories on letting go. Do you, uh, am I allowed to ask you? Do you have one that you could you could share? Yeah, I mean, I, I I have one that I can share. I will just very quickly unpack a couple of thoughts, if I can, before I do that. Mm-hmm. And because what you said just resonates so much with me in that, that there's one, um, there's a kind of prophetic saying, which is tie your camel and leave the rest to God. And the piece about tying the camel is doing the work, doing the action. And then just as you said, knowing that the fruits of your labor are not in your control. Um, and I can't remember what the other, oh, the thing about planting the seed. So th- there is also another kind of prophetic saying, which is that if the end of time comes and you have a seed in your hand, plant the seed. And what's interesting for me is that I always literally thought of planting the seed as a physical seed. 
And given the chaos that's happening in the world at the moment, I was thinking all this stuff that I want to do and belonging and understanding, like, you know, is it really work for me to do? And the moment I started to see that as a seed that I'm planting, it just completely transformed me. And I'm like, okay, I need to do this work. So that's the power of what you've been saying. My story. um, (laughs) So I I remember um, after my car accident um, when I was about 27, 28 years old and and literally I'd left work, um, was about to qualify as an architect, uh, left work, driving to the gym and essentially a white car, sorry, a white van went into the back of my car, wrote my car off and almost wrote me off. So all, all of the other challenges that go with that, but long story short, um, one of the things that I was doing a few years later as a result of the insurance was I had to have therapy. And I remember them going to the first session and speaking to the therapist and saying, I'm angry, I don't know how you can help. Six months later, last session, thank you so much, I'm still angry, you did, you know, and all of that other stuff. And a couple of years after that, I just kind of thought, I actually don't know why I'm angry anymore. And it's costing me so much. And I forgave that person and I let it go. And it is really, really hard to do. So we can speak about it at a kind of like intellectual level and speak about how easy it is. But this piece of real genuine forgiveness and letting go requires a huge amount But the energetic shift that then takes place once you've done that, I think it, for me anyway, it enabled me to kind of go to sleep at night in a different way. Beautiful. What a story. What a story. Forgiveness is such a huge part, again, of my my story. Um, I've done videos on forgiveness. I love reading about it there's a Stanford forgiveness project by Fred Luskin. You know, this is, there's serious science and biology behind this as well. And, and I noticed as a doctor very frequently with autoimmune disease, with high blood pressure, um, with anxiety and depression, that, that people were holding on to anger from quite some time ago. And, and I, and I was too, definitely at different stages of my life. Um, it, forgiveness really is very, very powerful. And I love what you said about, how you had to almost as almost again like a physical act, a physical shift of of letting go. Um, yeah, Vishen speaks quite a bit about his six phase meditation, and that has that's been very powerful for me. To in the third phase of that meditation is forgiveness, and he speaks about how it bathes your brain with alpha waves, waves of well being and and calm, and and a way to start accessing intuition as well. So I think for anyone out there who's struggling right now, who's feeling angry, who's feeling frustrated, um, it's another, it's, it's a similar message I shared with compassion. And I think, again, people can get their wires crossed with forgiveness where they feel that um, it's about pardoning the other person. But it's not, it's about you letting go. It reminds me of one more small thing. And it's a fantastic quote from Abraham Lincoln, which is, I don't like that man. I need to get to know him better. Mm. And this really resonated with me when I was going through a, a very challenging time at my workplace as a GP partner. 
and I was in a just in a dispute you could say um who now we're now friends but I, I I was consumed by anger and once I got to know that person better understood the context that whole story changed um and I think you you raise a, a really interesting point in there about um, listening to what's going on for you, because sometimes I mean, we're all human beings at the end of the day, and sometimes we will meet people that we will feel triggered by. Right? And I, I'm not perfect. I'm on a journey like everyone else. But what I've started to do is lean into that place where if I'm feeling triggered, I'm like, why am I? What's going on? What's happening? What can I learn about that person and about my reaction in order to have a better response? That's one thing. The other thing is I also know we're never going to like everyone. So sometimes you meet someone and you just think, okay, brilliant, but you're just not for me and allow that. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I know there'll be people on your podcast who are on a spiritual path. And one of the key principles of spirituality, which I'm sure everyone would agree across all, whether it's religions or whether you're non-religious and you're spiritual, is this common humanity or oneness. Mm-hmm. And for me, I feel like forgiveness was the gateway into me becoming interest, interested into spirituality. Because when I started to realize, that, oh, that person who I'm angry with is suffering just like me, um, maybe their circumstances are different, but they're suffering as well. Mm-hmm. And um, what if I could show them compassion what if I could let go of my emotions how would that affect them and their family um so yeah I, I think that common humanity and oneness piece it, it very interesting it relates quite a lot to lifestyle medicine because um we we're very interconnected and we know that a lot of different studies would show how if one person becomes anxious or depressed or happier that that can have this knock-on effect for people in that area so when you start to actually see data on that as well, this isn't just what's been said in the, the, the spiritual text, but when you see the data on it, it's quite fascinating. Mm, absolutely. I, and, I, and if you'll allow me, can I, can I share um, um, a prophetic story on forgiveness, which I think is, is just, honestly, every time I hear it, my mind just blows away. And so um, th- there's a story that... Um, the Prophet Muhammad, um, peace and blessings upon him, and his companions were sitting in a mosque. Um, and someone walked in and the Prophet turned around and said, or actually he didn't walk in. The Prophet said, the next person who walks in is going straight to heaven. And so everyone's kind of like looking at the door and forgive my paraphrasing for all of the scholars that are out there who know this better than me. But So everyone then looks at the door anxiously waiting to see who is this next person that walks in and what is so special about them. So this person walks in and clearly there is nothing like untoward, nothing significant, nothing major, you know, doesn't have kind of like a halo or anything like that. <laughs> and um, And one of the companions is like, I got to find out what this guy's doing. So he basically um, spends three days and three nights with this person and in the end says, well, what is it that you're doing? Because the prophet said you're going straight to heaven and I want to know what's going on here. (laughs) And he says, well, I'm not doing anything special. And just the story unpacks and things like this. And essentially it comes down to this one thing. 
the the other person says, well, what before I go to sleep, I think of all of the people who might have wronged me and I forgive them. And, you know, I mean, I have to tell you from, from myself, I know that I can't do that at the moment. I, I aspire to it. But can you imagine the world that we could live in if before we went to sleep, we were in a position where we were able to forgive everyone that wronged us? That's such a beautiful story. I love that. And it just shows the, the immense power of forgiveness, doesn't it? I think um, and uh, the thing I love about it as well is that it's a daily practice. Mm. Um, some people do forgive, but then it becomes less of a daily practice. And even now, I, I agree with you, but even now I still practice a meditation on forgiveness and still think about things that happened three, five years ago, maybe even longer. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 I thank you for sharing that, Sadia. You're welcome, because stuff can come back and it can bite you in a different way, right? <laughs> like You might think something's worked out and you've resolved it and all of a sudden it just comes and hits you from a different direction. So um, I, I, I would like to spend a few minutes speaking about luck because that was something that you touched on beforehand. And you you speak about how lucky you've been. I, I am a firm believer that we make our own luck. I think there is an element of serendipity and things happen. And, you know, um, for the listeners, whether their language is God or the universe or nature or all of that is kind of works. But I, I, I'm not quite sure about the concept of luck. And I'd love to, to hear your thoughts on, on that. Yes. Well, let's start with a, a very famous quote, which many of your listeners will know from Seneca, which is, Luck is where preparation meets opportunity. And that's been the big shift. I, I, I've said that I was a pinball before, and I, and I mean that, you know, I would be very much reactive. I think the big shift in terms of luck for me has been the daily practices that I've been engaging in meditation, reading, learning, connecting, compassion, connection. So and then with that preparation, I think it's important to have an, an expectation and to listen to your, your intuition that when something comes in front of you, for example, Sadia, like when I saw your message in the group, I just knew straight away that I, I needed to reach out to you. And I wanted to do that. And, I, and you know, I'm very grateful that, that I did. So I feel very lucky, I suppose, because I'm in there's an awareness of how effective the preparation is and how, how wonderful it is to, to see those things come to fruition um, and, and to be connected in, in ways that you'd never previously imagined. So preparation meets luck. And uh, sorry, preparation meets opportunity, gives you luck. And I think the last thing says, I think, I certainly used to underestimate the amount of preparation required. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> so uh, I think, you know, when you start off on, on, on your journey of personal growth or development, you, you maybe a few months in, oh, I'm doing, I'm doing this stuff. You're doing great. You're doing loads of stuff compared to what you were. But it's, we, we often underestimate how, how much preparation it takes. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's funny because it, on preparation, 
just even for me starting this podcast, you know, I had an idea to do something five years ago and I didn't do anything. And I think somewhere within me, it was just mulling away at the back of my mind. And so maybe I was preparing for five years because the moment I decided to do something, the whole thing just unpacked really, really quickly. But had I not had those five years of just having an idea and literally not doing anything with it, I suspect the implementation wouldn't wouldn't be the same as it is now. I'd have I'd have approached it differently. So I think what I'm trying to say is that we can have ideas, we can have aspirations, but if the time's not right, then just allow it. Don't rush things because some things will take more time than you want them to and there's a reason for that and allow that reason completely peaceful and again this relates to one of the other teachers who i know many of your listeners will know about and forgive me if i get the pronunciation wrong but lauza who around the time of reading the gita also read the dauda jing and he says in that he just has three things to teach simplicity compassion and patience i thought it's so profound when you hear these things it's so absolutely wonderful and the patience piece for me is something that i've been been working on because yeah and i had to think about this i had to think where does this impatience stem from and one of my coaching clients actually asked me this the other day and for me it stems from when we have the competitive mindset over the creative mindset so no one could create a podcast like you're doing right now, Sadia, because it's authentically you. That's the creative mindset. But for some of us who are in a rush, and I, I can you know, put my hands up and say I've definitely done that, we're thinking, well, if we don't do that, then someone else is going to do it. <laughs> but if you fully step into your full expression of who you are, then it does not matter. Mm. And because you're, you're creating something that's, that's unique to you. Uh, right now I'm in that phase. I want to create products that are going to be beneficial for people online. And I have to be careful not to create something that's, you know, too similar to what I've been consuming. And that's perfectly, you know, an authentic representation of, of my best self. So mm. yeah, I love that. I love this piece on patience and it is definitely a sign of the times as well. Mm. Many people are struggling with, with impatience. So Mm. And a side note on that is that, um, so I, I kind of took some action, did some things and I thought, oh my God, I don't know how to do anything podcast. So what should I do? So I'm, I'm listening to all of these podcasts. I'm doing these courses that are telling me these are the steps that you need to follow, et cetera, et cetera. And then I'm thinking they're telling me to do stuff that I don't want to do. So one of the things was I read somewhere that said, you know, try and have it all completely scripted out have your questions ready, send. And, and I was just thinking, and, you know, do this, these are the things, and this is the order in which you need to do it. Like, And I just think, this is not how I want to operate. So I thought, I'm glad I've learned this stuff, but actually I know what I want my podcast to do. And there is something about just having the confidence to say, I've done the work to learn, but I'm still going to do it the way that I want to, even if it's not acceptable, if it doesn't fit the norms, if it's just kind of like too strange and people don't think of it as a podcast, honestly, who cares? Because this is about unpicking 
what I think is needed in the world. And I'm sure other people are doing their own version of it. But when you when you share that piece, then it gains traction because people listen and they think, you know what, that's all right. That's a good idea. And or they say, well, tweak it, maybe think about this. Because the other day I was doing a podcast and, and I've been using the word conversation and they said dialogue. And I was like, oh, that's so good. <laughs> it's really, this is, it is a conversation, but it, the dialogue makes it kind of like a partnership just at another level. And I just thought that was so profound. And so learn, but also do it your own way and have confidence when you do do it your own way. Yeah, I completely, I love that. I love that when you, when you can draw your own experience to make something that's, that's unique to you. And yeah, I think it's an important point to mention is that what does the world need? The world needs people expressing themselves fully as themselves. There's nothing more beautiful to watch that, whether it's in in art or music or sport, just someone just being just 100% authentically themselves. And all the great artists and thought leaders of our time have done that. The ones that are still around anyway, they've done that. They've, They've continued to be a full expression of themselves. But this is one of the most scary things to do. (laughs) it is but I think there's just I don't know what I've realized because I've been doing this um personal development stuff um publicly for over 10 years and I'm not as far in my journey as many people are I'm not as financially successful all of those other things but you know the thing is is that I've I've learned to do things in the way that I want to and and when I've when I've made mistakes, it's because I've tried to do my own version of what one of my teachers has done. And that's just, it's, it's felt, I've done it because it, it's been pressure, stress, all of those other things. But the thing about mimicry, you know, I can't be another Vishen Lakiani or Brendan Bouchard or um, Nita Bouchard or, or anybody, right? I just got to step into my space and and do the best version of me in the same way that we all do. And so learn from other teachers, but you do you. And it sounds so simple and straightforward, but every day I think we need to remind ourselves that. It's so true. In fact, recently I was listening to Brendan and he was talking about how he went to a Tony Robbins seminar um, before he went and spoke on stage, uh, sort of a, a day before. And Brendan had a phrase, he said, you know, my mirror neurons are really switched on. And I, if I spend too much time with my teachers just before I'm creating, then I I can end up not being authentically myself. And I resonated with that a lot because mm. I too love to learn. And I find if I'm listening too much to one person, I can start to sound like them after a, a short period of time. So it's that balance back to what we said right at the start about structuring my day is this balance between creation and consumption. Um, and it, and it will go in phases. You know, I think if I've been creating a lot, I'll realize, Oh, I need to spend more time learning about how to create more. And if I've been spending a bit too much time consuming, I just get an overwhelming feeling. It's time to just put something out there. Mm. Um, so for everyone listening on that podcast, I hope you, I hope you resonate with this balance of creation. Cause I would be interested to hear what people think about that and how they balance it out as well. 
Yeah, definitely, definitely. Because I think that this is an area where we can all learn from each other in terms of when do you learn, when do you work, when do you consume, all of those things. Um, I I could speak to you for probably 10, 20 other episodes. What I would love to do is I, I think it would be really useful for the listeners to come back and do one episode focused on lifestyle medicine. So if you're willing to do that, that would be great. I'd love to do that. Yeah. Thank you, Nilesh. And, and I have a couple of questions just as we wrap up. Um, I haven't asked anyone else this, but I am going to ask you because you demon, you kind of shared a love of cooking. So what's your favorite meal? Oh, wow. Okay. So I feel like great food evokes a lot of memories and a, a deep sensory experience. And this, the food is, is a crab curry. Sri Lankan mm. crab curry. Now I'm probably now about 90% plant-based, but I still, that's really my, my favorite meal. And it's made with a soft shell crab. And my, my auntie would make it and it's with those curry leaves and spices. And it's just a, in fact, when my father saw my wife eating the crab curry, Sarah, now he, he was, he was set at that point that she would be an excellent wife for me, someone who can enjoy a crab curry. So <laughs> that, that that has a lot of special memories. That's so sweet. Thank you for sharing. And you're also kind of like a prolific learner. So what are you reading at the moment? Well, I just finished reading Kristen Neff's Self-Compassion as I've got this talk at the British Lifestyle Medicine uh, Society's conference. So I'm brushing up on that. And what's next on the shelf? Well, I think I've just got it up there. I've got a few things. I'm going to read this book called Connected by James Fowler and Nicholas Christakis. And that, I mentioned that, that really fascinates me, the three degrees of influence and how, you know, if, if we work with somebody to raise their emotional energy, to raise their productivity and all of those beautiful high performance habits, how that impacts on on the rest of their families and the rest of their communities. So that's next on the list. I love that book. And um, and I actually spoke to someone on the podcast that's close to them. So I'm hoping, you never know, I'm just going to put it out there and see if they will come on as well. And uh, what are you kind of listening to or watching at the moment? At the moment, I'm doing a lot of learning from uh, Brendan about the thought leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's the second time I've taken his Thought Leader Roadmap course. It is a phenomenal course. I, I feel like I will need to take it one more time because it is so good. Um, I'm really starting to try and understand the journey of a thought leader and, and try and get the basics right. Mm. So that's what I'm that's what I'm taking in terms of an online course right now. Mm, I love that. For a moment, I thought you were going to say Peppa Pig, but there we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, do you know, actually this week for the first week for all you parents out there, we did a no TV week. Now I know how challenging that would be. You know, I don't know how we've, my wife's predominantly done it. She's done an incredible job and it's been amazing. Yes. So we had a whole recital performance for my son where he was playing air guitar for about half an hour and it's on video. Uh, and so, yeah, I think um, we do love, you know, the right TV is great, but at the, <laughs> we, we've realized that it is possible to do even just one or two days without it. And it's really important, actually. I mean, this is another side note, but whilst you have that level of influence over 
your children, it's really important to do that because otherwise they just grow up into the habit of TV and social media or not social media, but, you know, the phone becoming the third parent or the babysitter and stuff. So um, it's really significant. I'll, I'll just share one quick thing on Peppa Pig. The reason I mentioned it is because the other day my son was watching stuff and he was like, Peppa Pig is number one on Netflix. Let's watch that. And I said, <laughs> you're a 15 year old boy. And you're watching Peppa Pig. <laughs> oh that's hilarious that's so funny and um i must ask you because you shared about being a dj what is your favorite song to dj to oh wow that's a really good one i've never been asked that what's my favorite song to dj to <laughs> so i i dj when i was back in university i dj'd more um house music which i really loved but recently I, I DJed friends' weddings and sort of more commercial music. And I really, really love mixing in um, Craig David's Rewind. I love that. <laughs> I love that. And it always it always goes off like such a banger. People love it. It's, it and he's from Southampton. I'm living in Southampton. So there's a bit of a connection there. And um, Craig, if you're listening, you probably make a great tune. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. And um, lastly, what advice do you have for me? Oh, wow. Oh, my goodness. What advice do I have for you? I think connection is the key to fulfillment. This is not just for you. This is for everyone. And I want to encourage everybody to keep that at the forefront of their minds. Every day, minute, hour, that connection. Connection is the key to fulfillment. I love that. And and it's so true because... um, the more that I lean into um, connecting with with people, having conversations, actually, the better I feel about myself and the more I'm also able to contribute to other people's projects and the work that they're doing. And so that's just such a wonderful note to end on. Nilesh, it's been an absolute pleasure. It really, really has. I'm, I feel like a richer human being for knowing you a little bit more. So thank you. I must pay gratitude to firstly all the listeners for making this possible and then also to Sadia because it's very rare as well that I connect so quickly and deeply with somebody and it's yeah for once I'm a little speechless but I thoroughly enjoyed it and I look forward to the next one and I must stay in connection and contact as well and we'll remind each other and keep spurring each other on thank you so much Oh, you're welcome. And I forgot, I can't believe I forgot. Where can people contact you? That's a good point. I forgot that too. So I think probably the best, I do have a sort of a brand personalized website, which is just drsatguru.com. That's D-R-S-A-T-G-U-R-U.com. And all links are there. But if you want, the one thing that I've got every week is my Believe in Growth video broadcast. And that's www.believeingrowth.uk. And that's my sort of weekly content that I put out for people and take a little break over the next couple of weeks but you can find me there too brilliant we'll put all of the links in the show notes once again thank you so much Nilesh thank you Sadia if you enjoyed this episode of with Sayada. I'd appreciate it if you could rate, review and subscribe. It helps other people find out about the podcast and the work of the Centre for Belonging and Understanding.